0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Libby. Presenting Book Three World Well Lost. Mercury in Venus, written by Steve Libby. Read by Veronica Jagger. Eyes darting from shady corner to shady corner, Mercury crept along the service tunnel. Glowing tiles set into the walls every ten feet brightened as he passed them. No doubt they obviated the need for Medus's technicians to carry flashlights, but to a man trying to sneak out of an underground city, they were reminders that he was a prisoner in a gilded cage. He reached an intersection. The tiles illuminated his surroundings until the claustrophobic chamber was as brightly lit as the cyclopean vaults Medus considered to be outdoors. A combination of mirrors, paint, and lighting gave the impression that the 200-foot ceilings of these immense public rooms were a daytime sky. They even dimmed on a 24-hour cycle to simulate a moonlit night. The artificial daytime had amazed him when he first arrived in Metis, as had everything he saw. Mabel, the woman in charge of the discoid craft that had sped him to the secret city, had been amiable but vague about strategic details, location, population, leaders, technology, standing army, but happy to wax eloquent on Medus's language, created in 1942 by a team of the world's most accomplished linguists, psychologists, and sociologists, culture, fashion, lifestyles, and food. Most aggravating to Mercury was her reticence when he asked precisely why he had been shanghai who gave the orders. "'People who know what's best for you,' she had said with what was meant to be a reassuring smile. To Mercury, it sounded like a bad dystopian movie come to life. Although his metahuman physique did not become fatigued easily, Mercury sagged when the intersection lit up, as though he were a rat caught in the beam of a flashlight. Aside from the distant hum of air-recycling machinery... The tunnel was silent, with the expectation of imminent company. He leaned against the tunnel wall and waited. Tiny footsteps echoed from his left. A small boy strode into the light with the insouciance of a prince. He wore loose silk pants and shirt that would have passed for pajamas in the surface world. Hello, Mercury. Mother would like me to remind you that dinner will be served in 45 minutes. The boy spoke the words with eerie precision, as did everyone in Metis, where languages were absorbed during sleep. Mercury said nothing for a moment. The boy regarded him impassively, then beamed, showing small, perfect white teeth. The effect unnerved Mercury. Yeah. Sure, kid. Tell Mabel I'll be there. Splendid. Mercury was sure he had never heard an eight-year-old boy use that word before. Somehow it ate away at his confidence. He grunted. You will also be interested to know that Marva plans to attend. She wishes to extend an invitation to you for an evening swim. Swimming was a popular pastime in Midas, possibly because everyone skinny-dipped. Underground streams formed hidden pools and caverns beneath the city, and every citizen seemed to have a secret watering hole, manned by robotic fish that doubled as oxygen-laden lifeguards. Marva had made no secret of her intentions should she lure Mercury to her favorite hideout. Nor, for that matter, had her friends Tiga, Ziana, Oline, Costanza. He was quite the novelty to the flawless beauties that populated the underground science city. Reminded of a dozen science fiction novels where a virile protagonist is used for breeding purposes by sinister plant societies, Mercury wore his aggravation on his sleeve and avoided them all. "'Tell your sister I have an ear infection.' two ear infections,' he pointed to his ears. The boy perked up. "'Oh, a simple sonic spray can—' no, no, no fancy cures. I just need a good night's sleep.' We can activate the slumbertronic. He shook his head emphatically. No gizmos either, just a soft pillow. I'll update the ergonomic logic in your sleeping chamber, then. To Mercury's dismay, the boy actually clapped his hands together in delight before scampering off. Oh, for Christ's sake! Mercury groaned the clatter of the boy's retreat. Why can't you people just let me go home? His voice diminished to a mere chirp by distance. The boy responded, Because we like you ever so much! Mercury planted his face in his palm. The lighting tiles flickered at him with an unmistakable machine amusement. Marva wasn't the only guest in Mabel's chambers. A lanky, severe man who exuded an air of authority chatted in low tones with the hostess as Mercury arrived. A trio of postage-stamp-sized reflective metal chips adhered to his right temple. Sometimes his fingertips would brush against them as an unconscious gesture, though Mercury thought the panels flashed upon contact. In his explorations of Midas, he had seen uniformed individuals with similar accoutrements. A mass of platinum-blonde hair and thoughtfully exposed skin ambushed him from around the corner. Rick! Marva threw her arms about his shoulders. So glad you could come, not too many other places to go. he said, patting her back as non-committally as he could. Marva giggled as though his quip wasn't meant to be mournful, although she shared Mabel's wide features. Marva could have stepped off a modeling photo shoot post airbrushing. Matis women apparently had no need for makeup. He wondered what genetic experimentation had resulted in such aesthetic perfection. After we eat, I thought we might... Mercury moved to her side. Need my beauty sleep. Who's that guy? Oh. Her disappointment was evident. Commander Marconi. He insisted on joining us. The commander glanced over at the mention of his name. Our guest has arrived. He thrust out a hand. Paolo Marconi. Rick Poitier. You're a commander. Of the science guard, yes. Marva, you won't mind if I speak with Rick alone for a moment. Without waiting for a response, he guided Mercury into the den. Out of earshot of the girl, he raised an eyebrow. Tenacious, isn't she? I feel like a steak." The commander chuckled. "'A piece of meat, yes. I understand your joke.' "'Um, thanks.' "'What I am implying is that I have spent time in the outside world, so I grasp the context in which you make your witticism.' Mercury sighed. "'Thanks. I'll be here all week.' Marconi's expression became serious. Longer than that, I am afraid. Your fate has not yet been decided. He settled on one of two pure white divans. Solemnly, he patted the cushion of the other divan, but Mercury remained standing. My fate. Yes, Grandfather and Nicola have been analyzing the consequences of returning you to your freedom. So you admit that I'm a prisoner? We have never denied it, Rick. Do not mistake our friendliness for weakness. If you were to find a way to the surface, you would be regretfully incinerated by our security system. Regretfully. That's a comfort. Mercury flopped onto the divan. I suppose I can't fight my way out either. Again, Marconi's hand brushed his implants, but this time with unmistakable meaning. If you tried, I would be forced to neutralize you. Should I fail and you were judged to present a serious threat to the citizenry, the tracking systems would fire lasers into your brain. Marconi laid a hand on Mercury's arm. His face held a look of genuine concern. Please promise me you won't force us to harm you. Mercury snorted. (laughs) You have my word. I promise not to get my cerebellum vaporized. But you can understand my misgivings. There is a committee specifically formed to assess and dissuade your misgivings. Mercury gaped at him. Oh, it's true, Marconi assured him. We Matizans do treasure our committees. Mabel heads that particular one. Just... How many committees concerning me are there? Mm, Seven. Marconi sniffed the air. My, that mushroom soup has a delightful aroma. Don't you agree? It was the last straw. Mercury leapt to his feet. Okay, listen here, guy. It's one thing to threaten me with lasers. That's part of my job description, I think. But committees? That is seriously weirding me out. He pointed to the commander, who had remained sitting. I want answers. There is also a committee from you. Now. Marconi squirmed. A liaison has been designated to explain your situation. I would be grossly overstepping my authority if... Marconi. Deal with the paperwork later. I hit people with blunt objects for a living. Patience is not one of my virtues the commander considered this for a moment he bit his lip your request is reasonable sit down and i'll answer your questions to the best of my ability later i can brief the committee mercury pulled the divan around to face marconi lay it on me why am i being held here You are being detained by the orders of Alex Tesla and Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla. And Mercury had thought the anti-gravity disc craft were weird. His astonishment must have been evident, for Marconi held up his hands. You see, this would be better handled by the appropriate committee. No, no, no. You and me, man to man. You just said Nikola Tesla, right? The inventor of AC current. Yes. The dead inventor of AC current. That's a more complicated answer. The simple version is still yes. Mercury sucked on his lip as he digested the information. That Eisenfaust character claimed to be a time traveler. Indeed, but Nikola has been with us all along. When you meet him, this will make more sense. That's for sure. Now, you also said Alex issued the order to lock me up. Marconi assumed the earnest look again. To protect everyone, yes. Please do not judge him until the committee provides you with all the facts. Okay, my boss potentially betrayed me. Good enough for now. You sound bitter. Oh good call. Perhaps you should couple with Marva tonight. It will relieve some of your stress. Not without authorization from the appropriate committee. Mercury cut off Marconi's protest. Next question. Why precisely did Alex and... and Nikola Tesla think that I needed to be prevented from returning home where I'm needed? Marconi nodded. A good question that gets to the heart of the matter. Unfortunately, I was not privy to their decision-making process. Would you like me to speculate based on my limited knowledge of the factors involved and my experience with their leadership? Oh, quite. Go for it. Metis has been kept secret from the outside world since its inception in 1935. Somehow, you were exposed to enough clues about the existence of Metis that you became a security risk. Mercury remembered the siege of the Echo Campus. Tesla's security room. That would certainly constitute a compromise of Midas' security. What about the janitors? Excuse me? Never mind, I guess Tesla does his own dusting. So now I'm the man who knows too much. After a trip on a disc craft to Metis proper, you certainly are now. So you folks don't want to kill me, but I can't be permitted to leave this hole in the ground. Am I stuck here?" A sly grin overtook Paolo's face like curtains parting to reveal an interior room. Not if I have anything to do with it, my friend. Mabel called for them to join the dinner table, and Paolo rose. After we eat, I would like to introduce you to someone of great significance. Can you spare the time? If you can fight off Marva, I'm all yours, pal. Mercury tugged at the stiff collar on the jacket that Paolo Marconi had provided him. Evidently, the advanced and enlightened science city looked askance at shirtlessness when meeting dignitaries. At least they did have flying cars, he thought. Paolo led him through vaulted public chambers bustling with cheerful medicines to a compound cut out of the rock whose astir angles were unmistakably militaristic. Sharp reliefs depicted men and women in meter-style clothing, looking up to the sky in hope and resolve. Mercury had the fleeting sensation of entering the tomb of a pharaoh on its grand opening. Chrome accents cast back the light in dazzling flashes. Where are we? Control Central. I'm going to take you on a slight detour to the planning theater. They're expecting us. They passed several control rooms with verdant holographic maps floating amongst the eerily lit faces of technicians. However, our final destination is the Aviatrium, from which all of our Discoid craft are launched and guided. Oh. Do you have a name for them? Mercury described a circle with his hands at Palo's look of confusion. You know the discoid craft, like, say, spinners or fighters or something less clunky. In what way is discoid craft clunky? The term clearly identifies the vehicles. But... But... Mercury shrugged helplessly. All this science fiction gadgetry seems like it should be, I don't know, snazzier. Name them all after birds of prey or sharks or some such. Maybe stinging insects. I cannot envision the utility of such naming convention. The craft do have numerical designations, if that satisfies you. Like, NC-1701 from Star Trek? That was the Enterprise's number. Why the writers of an entertainment program felt the need to name a ship after giving it a perfectly good number is beyond me. Aha! So you know about Star Trek. Well, of course. just provided Mr. Roddenberry with funds to use as bribes to put the program on the television network. It was believed that the depiction of a united, peaceful Earth using science for the good of all people would temper some of America's jingoistic and imperialistic tendencies. Mercury raised his eyebrows. Really? I guess I shouldn't be surprised you folks are into science fiction. Actually, we find it rather mundane. Watch your step, please. Paolo guided him into a glass-sided pod, whose bottom sported pads that glowed with the same energy he had seen under the discoid craft. Paolo spoke a Matisian word, and the pod began a swift descent through a lighted tube. For nearly a minute, the pod dropped at a stomach-wrenching speed. The floor of the pod was transparent, allowing Mercury to watch an enormous rounded globe rush up towards them. His gut tensed with the anticipation of impact, as clouds and ocean grew in size to fill his field of vision. Silently, they passed right through the landscape, for an instant oceanic waves played across their faces as if they had intercepted the light of a movie projector. From the vantage point inside the holographic globe, Mercury could see the world in reverse, with faintly illuminated filigrees defining the tunnels of mines, bunkers, and, under a mountain range that he guessed to be the Andes, us. He let out a breath and looked at Paolo. Dude. Paolo grinned. Forgive me for showing off a little bit. Here we are. The pod decelerated so gently that Mercury didn't realize it had slowed until they passed through the other side of the planet hologram and settled on the floor of the gargantuan chamber. He stepped out before a crowd of Meta's science guard. Had he not just ridden an anti-gravity elevator through a football-sized hologram of the Earth hundreds of feet below the surface of said planet, Mercury would have considered their smiles smug. Instead, he gave a little wave. Gentlemen, Paolo Marconi said, let me introduce you to our guest, Rick Poitier, known to the surface world as Mercury. He brought us the body of Eisenfaust, and I believe he can be of service to me just yet again like I have a choice, Mercury muttered, too quiet for Paolo to hear. A blue light fell upon the crowd. But you do have a choice, a voice boomed from near and far. It crackled with energy and artificial clarity, and an Eastern European accent. The science guard returned to their instrument consoles and holographic clipboards, unimpressed by the fifty-foot-tall figure projected into the air above them. The man had an archaic trimmed mustache, jet-black hair parted in the center, and deeply socketed eyes. A fringe of sparks surrounded its outline and features, as though drawn by a giant cartoonist with a Tesla coil for a pen. A ghostly white pigeon circled him. In fact, Mercury realized, his mouth hanging open, the figure standing over him with a convivial smile was Nikola Tesla himself the projection of the famous scientist regarded them with all the awareness of a fellow occupant, not a simulation. He caught Mercury's eye and winked. Oh, boy, he said, feeling small. Is that real? Meet Nikola Tesla, Paolo said. Tesla inclined his head to Mercury. Real is a relative term, Mr. Poitier as a collection of electrons harnessed into a matrix, I am as real as data on a computer or a bolt of lightning. My consciousness is here with you in physical form so that we may have a relaxed conversation like two gentlemen. But you're five stories tall, Mercury called up to him. I apologize for that. The electrical sentience matrix that retains my mind needs room to operate, shall we say. Were I to condense myself, my locally available synaptic processes would reduce as well, and there is simply too much to do. If you prefer, I can sit. A chair the size of a house materialized under him, and he sat, evoking for a moment the Lincoln Memorial. Is that better? A smidge, thanks. Behind Tesla, lights began to track across the globe, trailing data in grids. Science guards use small wands to expand the data and view it, then scribble sagely on clipboards. Tesla twisted around to watch the parade of lights for a moment. The pigeon flickered as it settled onto his shoulder. Say, Mr. Tesla, would it be too much to ask for a simple explanation of, well, everything here? Tesla turned back around. What have you assimilated from your time spent with us? That your committees aren't especially efficient or they're great at ignoring me. No one wants to take responsibility for letting me know why I'm a captive. You are a guest, not a captive. So I can leave without fear of lasers in the brain. Uh Ah, no. But now I see the distinction you're making. He smoothed his electronic hair, an odd gesture for a transparent giant. I suppose it is best that you hear our story, and our proposition, directly from me." Mercury crossed his arms and waited. The shirt they had given him itched. In 1943, I died. My heart surrendered to the indignity it had witnessed throughout my life, the tawdry, short-sighted uses for my inventions, the greedy rich men like Edison. In my final days, a little winged messenger brought me word from Marconi that death would hold no dominion over me. His hand stroked the pigeon's feathers. his agents replaced my dead body in the morgue with a fake. In a prototype discoid craft, they carried me aloft to the city, which at the time was little more than a series of natural caves with a power station. There, Marconi tested the electric matrix on me. As you can see, Marconi is a very clever man— And so I awoke in a cloud of electrons reborn as a purely electrical being. I'm sure you appreciate the irony of the situation I found myself in. You're immortal? Tesla appeared to sigh, as if an electrical being could exhale. To achieve immortality would require that the equipment that sustains Marconi and I... Yes. Guglielmo performed the procedure on himself as well never succumb to the slow rot of entropy. In other words, Mr. Poitier, all things die. Marconi has merely succeeded in postponing that transition. So you and Marconi are computer programs now? Not precisely. Computers are involved in the creation and sustenance of the fields that encompass our intellects, but it would not be fully correct to describe us as a series of ones and noughts. The complexity of our state does not permit a ready explanation to a layman. You will forgive me if I move matters to more pressing concerns. My captivity. Yeah, let's hash that out. Whether it was Tesla's fame or his physical size, Mercury felt that he was now speaking to someone with the authority to make decisions. Keep it simple for this layman and just tell me when I get to go home. Paolo rubbed his temples in embarrassment, but Tesla only smiled. That depends entirely on you. Do you believe me when I assure you that Metis' overriding concern is the betterment of humanity? I'm not sure. So far my experience here has been pretty weird. Artificial languages, UFOs, sorry, discoid crafts, free love, cheesing your jackets, vegetarianism, It sounds more like a hippie cult than a group of scientists. Ah, but everything you have just described is the direct result of social engineering by the greatest minds of our time. Marconi's goal was to create an entirely rational civilization. Such an undertaking required isolation from the predations of world leaders. Politicians and captains of industry are short-term thinkers motivated largely by greed. Metis is motivated by altruism, but not the naive altruism you might encounter in a missionary or social worker. Rather, it is scientifically tested altruism, what Marconi likes to call logical morality. Tesla chuckled. So what do you call it? In my lighter moments, I refer to it as uncommon sense. But that is not to mock the concept, or, as you can see in Metis, the successful execution. Maybe I can't see, big guy. Rick, Paolo blurted, please show some decorum. His true sounds is entirely justifiable, Commander. To an outsider's eyes, Metis appears to be quite strange. Even I notice it and I am a living ghost, am I not? Tesla's eyes twinkled with sparks. Allow me to explain a few of your examples, Mr. Poitier. Our language was crafted in the 1940s by a team of neurolinguists to be fully logical, modular, and multi-layered. There are no irregular verbs or noun articles, such as those which pollute European languages. Signifiers attached to word meanings enable speakers to clearly indicate implications. There is no need to infer meaning or intention. The vocabulary... Tesla paused. Simply put, Medesian empowers speakers to communicate 57% faster than with an organic language and reduces their cognitive response time by a third. Understand? Actually, yeah. That made sense. If you spoke Medesian, it would have made sense much faster. Now, another aspect of our society, what you call free love, is merely a logical repositioning of gender relations to divorce sexuality and emotion from critical societal functions such as child-rearing and socialization. And as an underground city, animal protein requires far too much energy and resources to grow, hence vegetarianism. The jackets, you cannot possibly rationalize those jackets. The raised collars of our jackets, which are similar to the narrow jackets of the 1960s, contains sub-vocalization detection circuitry that operates best at that level of proximity to the throat. Now, the discoid craft... Mercury waved a hand in defeat. I get it, I get it. We're idiots and you're geniuses. The smile left Tesla's face. Not at all. Genius is an odious term. All men have the ability to grasp the intricacies of the physical world and act upon them. It is the ruling elites who prevent the masses from rising to the height of accomplishment that is the birthright of every living being. The universe is meant to be conquered, but gently so, not with weapons or fear. And that's why you haven't bombed the elites into submission. Precisely so. Societal change comes from the hearts of men, not the mouths of their leaders. Thus we can influence events through methodical and strategic infusions of scientific concepts. For example, the broadcast technology that forms the basis of echo. We're a front for you? Mercury blurted out. To a degree, yes. Who more logical to carry on my work than my brother's son and grandson? He indicated Paolo just as Commander Marconi continues the legacy of his grandfather, albeit in a more direct capacity. "'And that capacity is what we brought you here to discuss,' said Paolo. He gestured to the globe above them. A glowing dot grew in size to become a satellite, trailing a flight path behind it. "'This is a spy satellite employed by the United States government to gather military intelligence. You will note that its orbit has been decaying rapidly.' As he spoke, the flight path lit up and rotated until the satellite's descent was apparent. I'm amazed the fools left any at all. Didn't they knock them out with some kind of beam? We're not sure of the means of destruction. Satellites began to appear an hour before the attack. By the time NASA or the European Space Agency identified a pattern, the Nazis were on the ground advancing toward their targets. Tesla performed a curious hand gesture, accompanied by a sudden, indrawn breath, and Mercury realized that he had employed the subvocalizations Tesla had mentioned. Satellites lit up in sequence: communications, astronomical, and weather tracking, all disrupted with microwaves. However, the spy satellites—the ones with cameras scouring the Earth for troop movements—vanished from orbit. Except for this one. Mercury tugged at the collar. The thought of weird circuitry wrapped around his throat made him uncomfortable. You think it holds a clue to the location of their home base? That is our hope, Tesla said. Any information will aid us in making our final decision. Sure, Mercury said, nodding. Then he stopped. Final decision? Tesla and Paolo grew silent. Sharing time, Mercury said. Don't tease me. What final decision? Metis has not, as a collective, reached an agreement on whether to enter the war against the Thule Society. Paolo spoke as though revealing a sordid secret of a family member. Opinions are quite varied. Opinions? "'For Christ's sake, you guys, opinions are for the editorial section. "'The war found us, remember? "'Nazis, World War II, piles of dead bodies.' "'He threw up his arms. "'They nearly did in Tesla's own great-nephew. "'How can your committees possibly debate this?' "'If you only knew.' Hollow rolled his eyes. "'It is my own hope that the data in this last spy satellite "'will provide us with an incontestable argument for intervention.' A scientist seeks knowledge for its own sake, Tesla barked at Paolo. You let your emotions wear logic. Mercury pointed a finger at the second giant. Wait a second. You lived through World War II. Are you telling me that despite all your space-age gadgets and uber-culture, you'd let the Nazis run free? Tesla paused. If it was for effect... Mercury could not be certain. I'm afraid you lack enough perspective to judge this matter objectively. Yeah, you bet I do. After watching those butchers wipe out my friends, innocent civilians, cops, anyone who got in their way, I lack all kinds of perspectives. I want blood, Tesla. There is no good reason to let them breathe one more cubic inch of air on this planet. Again, Tesla and Paolo failed to respond. You have got to be kidding me. Are you people so cynical that you think there's a benefit to this madness? Tesla responded. Call it cynical if you like. The death toll was, in the general scheme of human affairs, minor. Yet the political ramifications are far-reaching. Nations who weeks before were on the verge of war have banded together to prevent another incident. The savagery of the attacks so well-documented by television and the Internet has caused a public outcry against militaristic actions. Governments have already scaled down international military operations to bring the troops back to their homelands. METUS takes the broader view of these matters, Paolo said. Do not think that we are uncaring. It is precisely the opposite. But the data indicate that there is greater potential for good in the political unity the attacks create. Increased aid for developing countries, for example. News footage of the devastation in Africa has tripled American contributions to aid organization. And how are the whales doing? Whale populations were unaffected by the attacks, Paolo said, puzzled. Mercury threw up his hands. You really don't get it, do you? He took a step into the air and another to float up in front of Tesla's massive and transparent face. Echo mocks aren't just cannon fodder. Metahuman or not, if you haven't had to fight for your life, it's too easy to treat other lives as statistics, especially if you live in a hole, and especially if you're a freaking computer program. Rick, Paolo cautioned, remember where you are. Oh, I do, Brainiac. Tesla gazed at him steadily. Echo's purpose is to be cannon fodder, or rather... Metis' hands in the world. I grieve for the losses of your comrades as well, Rick. Some of them work directly with Metis and with me. I lack a body but not a heart. Oh yeah? So where are all the rest of the giant ghosts hiding? Seems to me you could stuff everyone into your computer bank instead of letting them rot. (laughs) Or are you a bad roommate? We once considered just that. Meta's citizens voted against it. Seriously? The general consensus was that a society that provided immortality to its citizens would itself die off more quickly. Human minds are not made to withstand so many years of consciousness. Madness would result. Our science is dedicated to helping humanity become more human, not less. Paolo had to raise his voice to the floating metahuman. You must constrain your individualistic impulses in order to perceive the grand mosaic of humanity's progress. Thanks, Shakespeare, Mercury called down to him. Don't you mean to address me as Paolo? Nope. He returned his attention to Tesla. You'll have to forgive me if I don't swallow your logic hook, line, and sinker. Some of us mere humans are still caught up in our wild emotions. And that is why you are useful to me. Would you like an opportunity for revenge, Mr. Poitier? Mercury sighed. All that jabbering, you could have had me right away. Let me at him. Then you will help us recover the satellite. Don't you have UFOs for that sort of thing? Palo gestured, and a dozen dim lines sprung forth, centering on the rogue satellite. We expect interference, he said with a devilish grin. Mercury returned it. Now you're talking. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by authors Mercedes Lackey, Steve Libby, Cody Martin, and Dennis Lee. Read and produced by Veronica Jagger. Featuring music by Antara Bay, investigating the phantom signal, courtesy of musicalley.com.